Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Bant, and along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Masick. Welcome, Jason. You know, Bill, if there's one thing I've learned in all my years, sometimes you gotta say, what the fuck? Make your move. I beg your pardon? What's up, Bill Bant? How's it going, Jason? Oh, what the fuck, man? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, be prepared for some vulgarity this evening. There will be F-bombs on this podcast. E for explicit. That's right, listeners. Today's movie is the 1983 teenage comedy drama Risky Business, starring Tom Cruise and Rebecca DeMornay. Directed by Paul Brickman, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 39 minutes. Beautiful. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, this would be the description you would find on the back of the VHS box. What's on the box? Take it away, Jason. Meet the model son who's been good too long. Meet Joel Goodson. Industrious, college-bound, 17-year-old, responsible, trustworthy son, promising future enterpriser, but he's been good for too long. It's time for a change. Joel's parents are going on vacation and leaving him in charge of the house. They trust him, but they shouldn't. Every kid's dream is every parent's nightmare. One of the best American comedies of recent years, says Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. Risky business delights in fantasy and forbidden fun. Writer-director Paul Brickman cleverly explores the teen dilemma of growing up good-hearted but guilt-ridden. No sooner do Joel's parents step on the plane when Joel begins to step out, encountering Lana, a young call girl who lives the theories of free enterprise and high finance he has been studying. In his star-making role, Tom Cruise creates a memorable character that recalls the graduate's Ben Braddock. Rebecca DeMornay lends credibility and a stunning physical presence as capable streetwise Lana. They and Brickman make risky business a first-class affair. A quote from People. There's a time for playing it safe and a time for risky business. All right. So uh, let's move on to earliest memories of the film, Jason. Uh, Why don't you start us off? Okay. The wonderful, the beautiful Rebecca de Mornay. I mean, my goodness. Gosh, you know, I did not see this film, of course, when it was released in the theaters. I did not go to the theater when I was nine years old to see Risky Business. A little young for this content. Let's just get it out there right now. This movie has a very uh, sexual overtone uh, throughout, and it's very sensual. It's very steamy. Literally, in the opening dream sequence, it's all steam. But uh, Rebecca de Mornay, it was one of my earliest memories when I first saw the film. She's stunning commanding presence, sexual, sensual. Uh, She's beautiful. And of course, I am a Chicago guy. I still a Chicago guy at heart. Uh, The Midwest vibe, everything from the suburb, the north, north side suburb, the house, the skyline, the L. Very cool. Uh, Other earlier memories I have is just the fact, you know, I remember as a kid watching this when I finally did get around to seeing it, it was just really the ultimate fantasy of what you can get away with when your parents are gone. It's the whole thing. It's like parents are out of town. Let's party. Let's throw a party. What are you going to do when your parents go away? And what can you get away with? Uh, of course, 
another early memory, the Bob Seger old time rock and roll scene. And when he slides across the floor, that being Tom Cruise and does the lip sync and the, the dance and the whole, you know, the gyrating. But again, I was super young when it came out. So I must have seen it much later on VHS or definitely cable. Great coming of age film. And the other thing I always remember too, one of my earliest memories is that that damn glass egg is just so precious in the uh, the classic scene at the end when uh, Vicky throws it up into the air and it's like that. It looks like she literally threw a f- perfect spiral football pass that Tom Cruise then does the classic, you know, climb over the piano and dive and catch. So a lot of fun early like visual memories and sensations, the music. Yeah, just it's just a it's a fun, exciting, romantic comedy, uh, you know, teen sex comedy. That's what it is. That's how I, I yeah. What about you, Bill Bat? So this came out in '83. So yeah, I was ten at the time. So like you, definitely did not see this in the theater. I probably didn't see this until college. So it was probably another decade later. I was not that big of a Tom Cruise fan. So that wasn't something that was on my list to see, but the memory and the impact that movie had throughout the eighties was definitely huge. Like I do remember seeing the whole poor thing falling into the lake. And of course the the Tom Cruise dance. And then the other thing I really remember was in eighth grade going on our class trip. And I, you know, I mentioned this earlier podcast. I went to Catholic school, so we, you know, we always had to do uniform things. So this is awesome. This is the first time we can go on a trip and wear regular clothes. And my mom gave me money to go to the, the mall with some friends. And the big thing was like, oh, we got to get the. We didn't call them Ray Bans. We had to get the risky business glasses to wear yeah. on the trip. So I never knew they were called Ray Bans. And we just got you know the cheap knockoff Ray Ban looking glasses for like ten dollars or whatever. But yeah, it, to me, it was risky business classes. So that's why I always remember that movie because of it. You know, I just made the association. Sorry to interrupt you now, but I've just made the association now with the initials Ray Ban Risky Business. Like that's an easy way to make the association. Oh, yeah. With the two. Yeah. I just I did. put that together now. There you go. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah. RB, the RBs. So I probably did not see this until I became a Tom Cruise fan. And it's hilarious, too, because I've told you this tons of times. The movie that turned me around was, of all movies, was Days of Thunder. And that was the first movie that I really liked him in. And it's Cold Trickle. And I'm not even a NASCAR fan. So I have no idea why that movie made me. It was like, oh, you know what? This guy isn't that bad. Let me. I should go watch other stuff that I missed. And I watched Risky Business. And it was like, oh, I totally missed this. Uh, I should have saw this, you know, at least three or four years ago. Bill, man, I I just want to hear you say coal trickle again That's all. <laughs> i just want you to keep saying it i can't get enough of that coal trickle <laughs> those are great very specific mem- man your memory is just intact my friend i'm always impressed very specific those are those are great stories yeah but both of us mentioned earliest memories of tom cruise um, dancing his underwear so i, w- I want to give you a quick quiz jason Okay, let's do it. Let's it's quiz time right off the see. I feel like Tom Cruise showing up late for class and you know the teacher hands out a quiz and I'm just look okay, go great, great. I'm gonna have nightmares now, Bill. So the quiz is based on the Mandela effect. 
And the Mandela effect refers to a situation in which a large mass of people believe that an event occurred when it did not. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and let's see how you do. If you, if you fall into the, the Mandela effect and then I'll, I'll tell you why this ties into risky business. Okay. So I'm sure you played Monopoly. I have been known to play the mon- the Monopoly. Monopoly. Okay. So the Monopoly man. Does he or does he not wear a monocle? <laughs> That's, good. That's funny you say that. I had a feeling you were going to ask it too, and I, I'd say yeah, he absolutely because that's what like the first when I imagine the Monopoly Man, absolutely. Yes, the mon- That's yeah, the Monopoly Man does not wear a monocle. Nope. Why would I think that, Bill? Because people think it, uh, Mr. Peanut, because Mr. Peanut wears a monocle. And for somehow, right, yeah. I don't know, maybe people eat Monopoly, peanuts when they play Monopoly. Mr. I don't Peanut. know. But he does not wear a monocle. That's funny. I wonder if Mr. Yeah, Mr. Peanut and Mr. Monopoly hang out a lot together. And that's why people make the association. I've been, I mean, I've seen them at bars together. Mm-hmm, so. There you go. Uh, now that's probably why. Okay. All right. What's, what's next? The second one. We saw a ton of these commercials back in the 80s. Fruit of the Loom. Think about the Fruit of the Loom logo. Mm -hmm. Does it have a cornucopia behind the fruit? Yes or no? A cornucopia? Yes. Behind the fruit? Yes, in the logo. What is a cornucopia? I don't even know what a cornucopia (laughs) is. I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like a a basket-looking thing. Oh, right, right. Sorry. I'm like, I just haven't heard that word in forever. Sorry. Uh, is there an actual cornucopia? No, it's great. I'm being educated on our pod. This is helpful for me. Cornucopia behind the fruit. I'm going to say, oh, yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm going to go, no. I'm going, no, I'm going against All right, that. one for two. You are correct. There is no cornucopia in the in the Yeah, that's weird. The logo. Okay. There was a cartoon that starred Fred, Wilma, Barney, Pebbles, Bam Bam. What was the name of that cartoon? Flintstones. Can you spell that for me? Flintstones. Meet the Flintstones. F-L-I-N. See, I want to say. Oh, is there a T in there? Flint? Is it Flintstones? F-L. Okay, I'm going to go F-L-I-N-T-S-T-O-N-E-S. Correct. There is is a T in there. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny because then, oh, okay. That's weird because you, yeah, you wouldn't think it yeah from the way you you pronounce most it. people usually say flintstones flint not flint not flintstones, flintstones. Mm-hmm. all right this is this is great let's just do this for the rest of the <laughs> yeah exactly all right it's fascinating i love it true or false hannibal lecter when he greets clarice for the first time says hello clarice uh, i'm gonna say no that is correct. He never says hello, Clarice, in the film. Oh, he never actually says those never. words. Never. Like, okay. Never at any point in the film. All right. So the reason why I asked you all those questions is one of the things about the Mandela effect is most people believe in the old-time rock and roll dance scene that Tom Cruise is wearing the Ray-Bans. Right. And when you go back and watch the scene, he is not. Yeah. And even That's, even I wasn't yeah. sure of this, and when I had to watch it again just to make sure that no, he is not wearing the Ray Bans. 
So that, yeah, that is another thing with the, the Mandela effect that most people believe that he is wearing Ray-Bans in that scene. I absolutely love it. That quiz is fantastic because that's funny how the mind works. You just make the association. Mm-hmm. You just do. And then your memory plays tricks on you. Exactly. So I'm going to ask you a question about uh, the movie. Did you think that Tom Cruise's character, Joel, was set up from the get-go to get scammed this money by Lana and Guido? Ooh. Uh, well, that's obviously a question that's asked at the very end, but you, th- I, I'm, th- I'm going to play a little bit innocent. I'm not going to go cynical. I'm going to say no. I don't think it was a setup from the get-go. It's sure, now that I think about it, I just don't like to think of it. I'm just not a pessimist that way. I don't like to think about that in that in that light. Although she is a realist, she's a very practical woman in this film. Gosh, I'm gonna say no. I don't think it, I don't think I don't think that was the intention. Okay. What do you, what, what do you think? I you know I never thought of it until watching it this past time, and then. Mm-hmm. Then I, I kept going back, kept going back. And then you think of the scene where um, the first lady of the night shows up, Jackie. Yes. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's possible it could go that far back where Jackie's in the house. Jackie cases the house. Then, you know, she's like, oh, this is the girl for you. And then mm-hmm. gives him the number, him, her, the number to Joel. And then Lana shows up, takes the glass egg, and then it just takes off her there. But by the end of the film, she kind of regrets what she did. Because what I thought was kind of weird, too, because when you had that end scene with with Guido selling back the stuff. Mm-hmm. And Vicky's like she because, you know, Vicky came to Joel's side to to help work the with the friends. And then all of a sudden she's right back with Guido selling back his stuff. Sure. So I was kind of like, man. That's kind of convenient too. It's a good point. It's a good point. So that's why I was just kind of asking you, what, what, do you, what did you think? I think you could make, I, I think there's no question you could make a case for both ways. However, I think if they were playing, let's just call it like the long con. Yeah, the long con. I think they could have gotten more out of it. It seems, although now that I, I mean, I go back and there, I have some questions. I was going to bring it up in our Swiss cheese segment as to how uh, Guido knows where Joel lives actually when he first shows up on the lawn and has the little back and forth with uh, Lana and Vicky. And then Joel has to come downstairs and confront Guido. And I was like, how did Joel know where he lived in the first place? How did he show up there? Yeah. I thought about that too. There was the, they have the, we'll get into it, but there's the car chase before that when Guido comes out of the hotel is rapping on the window of the Porsche and then Joel pulls away. And then there's the ensuing car chase but it's not as if Guido follows him back to his house. He loses him in the car chase. Exactly. And then goes home. And then the next day, he's then trying to get uh, Lana to leave, but she, she comes back with Vicky. But then she he asks them both to leave, and they're kind of put out. And then he's like working out his bedroom. And then all of a sudden, here's this argument out on the lawn, and there's Guido on the front lawn. And it's not as if – so I was like – so now when you pose that, I'm thinking, is there a reason – like was this all – did Lana call him and then they play acted this fight scene on the lawn. So this a B and C would happen. And they just played Joel the entire time. 
I don't know. I mean, they did end up doing the whole deal at the house with the girls and making eight grand in one night. And I, I don't think Joel sees a whole lot of it. I mean, between Lana and Guido, they do make off with most of the cash in the end. Well, I think, yeah, I think he's down 300 bucks at the end when you, when you think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I was thinking too, it's like, all right, all Guido's girls get some work with some clean kids and he makes commission plus another $8,000 on top of that. So it's possible. I don't know. Although it does not appear at the very end that Lana is with Guido anymore. It seems as though Lana has gone her own way Mm -hmm. because Guido is at her apartment. She's not there. That was another kind of question I had. It's an open-ended question. It was like, where, what was Lana's decision once the, the, they have the big night at Joel's house with all the Carl girls and there it's a very successful evening, but then does she not go home? She obviously they spend the evening on the train, but after that he goes to get the car, comes home to find all the furniture missing. She's MIA. Lana's right. gone. And she's not at her apartment. And the next time we see her is when Joel is either having drinks or something with her. Oh yeah, at the restaurant. Right. So if she was in it with Guido, I think they still would be working together. It seems as though, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, though. Yeah, and upon rewatching it a couple times, I think you could make a good argument. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could have been a long con. We'll never know, I guess. We could, we could, we, we'll just call Paul. Yeah, we'll call Paul. I, call, I mean, I'm on a first-name basis with him, Paul. Paul Brickman. All right. We'll find out what he's, what he's up to, Paul. Yeah, let's let's move on. What's next, Bill Bant? Favorite scenes. Jason, you want to go first? The scenes that blew my skirt up. You know where I'm going to start? Go for it. Where, where's a good place to start, Bill? Usually this at the beginning. This is my quiz for you. You got it. Nailed it. The I'm just going to call this the opening credit sequence my first favorite scene. The scene that blew my skirt up. As soon as this film starts with a Tangerine Dream score, and you have the sound design with the L, you can hear the train going over the train tracks. You hear this, the, the sensual moans of a woman overplaying the, the soundtrack, the music. You have the Chicago skyline. It's a little bit, it's obviously, it's, it's night, it's dark, steamy unto itself. There's some fog. It's intriguing. Like I'm watching this going, I don't, I don't know if I remember loving this opening of the film that much. I, that tracking shot of the night skyline, uh, and it's like from you are—it's from the train's POV. So you're as if like you are the train moving slowly along the tracks. It's—I think it's a perfect way. It's very intriguing, great way to open the film. Meaning you going into it like if you had seen the trailer, obviously you know that this is going to be somewhat of a, a teen sex comedy or a romp or something like that. Maybe something like, but the way it begins. It puts you in a different mood from the from the get go, meaning that this is not going to be what you maybe are expecting. It does set it up as a different kind of film than your typical uh, teenage sex romp, and yeah, that was one of the things I was I was thinking about too. Is it almost this film would almost even work if this was a college film or a young adult film? You could change the the time, the place. And still tell, yeah, the same story. Yeah, it's a Absolutely. lot more grown up than we're just going to party. Good we're going to find some yeah. girls and get laid. And that that was the, that was the point of the film. That was it. 
Whereas this one, I I think it really takes a deeper dive and it's a lot more mature and adult than all the other films, which I think is what's made it stand the test of time and it's still a very popular film. And it does have some steam and, and sex to it, but it's not overabundant. It's right. not kind of trashy. No. Even when you think about on the train scene, it's just just gorgeously shot. It's it's awesome. It's it's hot and you don't there's no nudity in it. I think he had a, a way of shooting it. I think those are all great points, first of all, although there are mature things. And I think you could make an argument definitely that this doesn't feel like, if, to me at times, this does not feel like a high school movie. No. They look like they're 17, but they're not even behaving as if they're 17. The, the scenarios where I'm just, I forget at times that he's in high school. Mm-hmm. It feels more of a college age, like during the summer, sort of like these events just happen to unfold and like say chaos ensues. But the sexual scenes are done with tact and class and they are more effective in the way that they're shot versus being overly graphic or played out for comic effect, goofy awkward they don't they don't feel awkward and i think that lends itself also to the maturity of it like i'm feeling wow this these kids even well joel himself handles them pretty pretty darn well for not having a great deal of experience at that age and then to engage with uh someone with a little more experience and i was going to ask you about that did you think that first scene with lana and joel do you think that was his fantasy of what happened i mean i granted she came over well we'll talk about that scene because that is definitely in my list here okay of favorite scenes and every time i've watched this film it's still because they set you up as if it's just going to be another one of his fantasies because he's fallen asleep before or he's uh caressing i'll just put it that way and go. and goes into a fantasy sequence that's kind of leading you've been led down this path before that's where naturally you're going to go again and especially the way the scene with Lana begins when she sort of helps herself, she opens, she walks into the home. You're like, this can't be, this is not real. And the, the doors, the French doors blow open and, and then it's just like, Oh, okay. We got the wind effects. It's clearly as part of this fantasy, but then it's not right. But is it, is it kind of both because he was asleep on the couch when mm-hmm. she had knocked at the door. So I think it's, I think, Mr. Brickman was having a little fun with us in the way it was shot and the, the choreography of the scene, but I, I don't think it was a fantasy. I think it was it's supposed to be real, but that's, but the part of the, that's kind of goes back to what I was saying where, because Joel seems to be very confident in his approach towards Lana after being so nervous and making the phone call in the first place, it's a little bit disconcerting or not or jarring. It doesn't, quite gel at first, but I'm just rooting for him right? to be confident because I'm putting myself in his shoes and how nervous I would be at 17. Again, having very little experience. If a lady of the night walked into my home in the middle of the night and I knew she was there for one thing and I could do it, I, I probably would sit down and try to engage in her. And some, so where are you from? And, right. Okay. So how do we, how do you want to do this? Is this okay? If I, if I touch you on the shoulder for, you know, first, and is that, is that, oh, you'd be so nervous. I, yeah. Trying the you'd polite be, approach, but yeah. he just, he goes, he goes 
Bill, he gets right down to business. Oh, exactly. Business. So that's why I was almost like, if he was telling his friends, yeah, this yeah. is how it happened. Is that right. what we're? Is that what we're <laughs> yeah, seeing? If he's, totally. you know, if he's telling Barry and Miles the next day, oh yeah, this is how yeah. it went down. Is that what we're seeing? I don't know. That's what I was kind of questioning because I was like, damn, that that man's confident yeah, all of a sudden. Cause, yeah, because honestly, Bill, and I don't mean to be too graphic here, but a seventeen-year-old kid and a woman like that, looking like that, coming in to my house, and I know I can have my you know way with her, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. Or let's just say I've been given; she has consented and given me permission. Then it would be over in two seconds. It would be awkward. It'd be clumsy. Oh yeah. Some things probably would get knocked over. I, I probably would have tripped over something or slipped, and then it would have been, you know, was that was that good for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, versus multiple positions on the stairs, on the the chair, captain's yeah. chair, whatever. You know, it's like. It's like, man, this this kid set the bar pretty high for himself. Exactly. He's got some pent-up frustration he's taken out. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing I was thinking, too. I was like, God, if my first time went one one one-thousandth as well as this did, (laughs) I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, but then and be like, well, you can only get worse from here. You can only go down from there. Yeah, exactly. That's a good question. Yeah, it really does come off as a fantasy at first, but then clearly it's – it's not. She spends the night. Right? Oh, yeah. She's there in the morning. I think that's really where it's like, oh, wow, that actually happened. Mm-hmm. She's still there. A lot to talk about there. Yeah, there was. All right. Um, so one of my favorite scenes um, was the next scene uh, after what you were talking about, the opening. It was the dream sequence. I just loved how that was shot. I loved how Tom Cruise was narrating the whole thing. He was doing the, the voice of the girl in the shower. Yeah, yeah, the fir- right. yeah, the very first one. Where he goes to the neighbor's house, finds the girl in the shower. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the girl invites him in. And of course, you know, just like how dreams are, they just jump all around from place to place. Yeah. And next thing you know, he's in class and he's going to miss that test. And I, and I think in a way it almost kind of tells you a little bit about Joel too, because he is so stressed about right. not making any mistakes in order to get himself into Princeton. His future is riding on everything. Yeah. Exactly. I think this dream really gives you a lot of insight about him, not knowing that it is. But once the you know the movie goes on, you hear more about him. It's like, oh, yeah, that dream really confirms what he is going through. You know, he's, he's sexually frustrated. Mm-hmm. So he's so worried about what he's going to do in school. It really ties it in right there. It's, it gives you everything you need in the beginning. But you don't realize it yet until the movie goes on. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. So that, that really does explain the dream. Miles tell him, hey, your parents leave in town. You can do what you want. No, I'm not, I'm not going to mess anything up. I want to you know, get into a good school. Right. So the dream sequence really does work. Yeah, and I, I actually I sympathized for Joel because his fantasies just ended in disaster every time. It's like, man, you're doing great in your dreams. Why, why do they always end in some sort of horrible scenario? Like. But um, it does make sense because, yeah, like as you, you mentioned, yeah, it's anxiety mm-hmm. that'll that'll tw- get you all twisted. So my next scene, speaking of fantasies, my next scene that blew my skirt up and it just gets me every time is the Kessler babysitter fantasy. Oh, there you go, man! Get off the babysitter! Mm-hmm. Cracks me up. I'm laughing out loud at times. 
I don't know, they say it three times. Because, <laughs> you know, it's very sexy in the beginning and it plays out just like, again, I may be revealing too much here, but like a great fantasy. Like, okay, we have the, 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 you get the babysitter alone and it's on top of a table and she's wearing a nightgown and she's very sexy scenario. And then you just have the cops showing up and the lights coming in for, through, shining through the window and it's just disturbing and, uh, get you here over the megaphone, get off the babysitter. Oh, yeah. And then his parents show up and they say, his mom says, get off the babysitter. <laughs> her mom, mm. she, her dad, sorry, the babysitter's dad shows up. I mean, it. I just love that scene because it, it not only ends in total disaster, but complete embarrassment. And it's very funny. Mm-hmm. That that is just a really funny quote. Oh, can we can uh, we talk about Joel's parents since you brought him up real quick? Absolutely. If they were my parents, I wouldn't be surprised uh, if I was in therapy three times a week with them. Mm-hmm. They are so <laughs> stressful and uptight. I honestly was thinking I was like, they probably when they conceived Joel, that was probably the last time the two of them had sex. Right. That's the way they come Very off. Very conservative. <laughs> Very uptight. Yeah. Just the tone of their voice, the way they speak to him. Oh, yeah. The way they talk to him is very, almost in a very condescending tone. Yeah. Even that first scene with, with the dad, you know, it's like, Joel, uh, do you hear something wrong with the, the, you know, he's like always trying to entrap him in something. Do you hear something wrong with the radio? Equalizer? Not right where it's supposed to be? I was tempted to put that on my uh, list of scenes. That entire there's a couple long takes there, which is all from Joel's POV. I oh love yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I do like you that do feel like you're in the, his shoes. You are a teenager in that mm-hmm. moment. You get the teenager's point of view, as in this is how parent is. Like we were just saying, the way they are literally looking down on him, talking to him with that tone. That's how you feel as a teenager. That you how your parents are coming down on you, how they talk to you, as if. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not uh, mature or responsible enough. They have to go over every little detail or get on your case about every little thing. At least that's how you feel, you know, about to go out of town and they're nervous that you can't handle the situation. Uh, so I, I love the way that's shot. And that particular scene, too, I'm just going to throw this in there is when they, because I am a Chicago guy, I've spent many, many of an hour at O'Hare International Airport. So every time they get there, it just brings back so many memories because I remember the sounds, the smells, the leather chairs, the windows, the ticketing agents, the gates, everything about O'Hare International. It just brought back a lot of great memories. Yes, I've got the the sleep in O'Hare Airport once. I got snowed in trying to fly. Yeah, San Jose. So, yeah, that is my recollection of O'Hare. Used to be the busiest airport in the world. I don't know if it is anymore, but used to be. What's your next scene, man? Or do you have another? Oh, I'm sure you have another scene. Yeah, I'm all, I'm jumping all the way to the end with Love on a Real Train scene. Um, sure. <laughs> of course, you know, it's the setup starts with Phil Collins in the air tonight, which is just awesome. Yep. Just the whole how nervous you can see Joel doing this. That whole, like, I can't believe I'm actually doing this. And then the whole thing with the bum was hilarious. Oh, he's just kind of yeah. staring at him. <laughs> when they throw him off, it's just great. It's perfect. It's absolutely hilarious. So that's an iconic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Love on a train, for sure. The first time Lana comes over, I put that on my list. So definitely when Lana makes her uh, first appearance, 
I also put a couple of those scenes. One being this is towards the end of the the big scene at the at Joel's house with all the call girls are there and they're making a lot of money. They have all he's you know told spread the word that to all of his friends and then some to come over and after Bill Rutherford comes in to interview Joel for admissions to Princeton, it doesn't go so well. And Joel then is a little bit, you know, upset and he's talking to uh, Lana afterwards in a separate room where there's a train set, I think set up. Oh yeah. Train set. You can hear the journey song in the background, which is great. That's called that's, that track is after the fall. And it's what I call the yes, maybe no scene. And Lana says to him, well, think about, you know, on the bright side, you've got a girlfriend out of it. And Joel keeps asking her over and over, are you my girlfriend? Are you really? Are you my girlfriend? Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but and he says, yes, maybe, no. Are you my girlfriend? And then she comes in and to calm him, repeats those words, yes, maybe, no, and then kisses him. And I just, that scene to me, I love because then she makes the proposition, you know, to, uh, to make love on the train. She wants to go uh, onto the train with him. I, I love the moment when she kisses him, when she says, yes, maybe no, it just melts me every time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is the, the power of, of a woman that you are falling for. You have a crush on that you're in love with. And I've been in that particular scenario when I was in college. I'll never forget this. There's a girl had a huge crush on named Andrea and I was playing, I'll just never forget this. This is my comparison is that I was playing tennis and I was playing with her and I was playing poorly and I get very competitive and I was really upset. And she just told me to stop. She approaches me at the net and just did something very similar where she actually kissed me. She just reached across the leaned across the net and kissed me to calm me down, to get me out of my head, stop to lower my stress level, to lower my anxiety, not worry about bullshit. The fa- the, what was important was that I was there with her. She cared for me. We were having fun together. And that's all that mattered. And in that moment, you know, the only thing that mattered in the universe. And uh, that's what, you know, I watched that scene. It just impacts maybe that way. So I, I call it the yes, maybe no scene. Um, were you done with your scenes? Was that? Uh, I, just, I just want to talk about a scene. It's not a favorite yeah, scene, yeah, but I just, I, I just laugh. Yeah. Because um, typical high school film, they have to have a poker scene. <laughs> yes. I, I don't Are know. You about in the beginning? The, yeah. I mean, I thought that I scene was pretty funny where they're just ribbing on Joel mm-hmm. about being with that girl and stuff like that. But it's like, man, all, all these movies, they always have this poker scene. They always seem to have a poker table and the chips and the beer and the cigars. When I was in high school and I played poker with friends, it was loose change on a picnic table, no chips. Might lucky we have pretzels. No doubt about no doubt about it, Bill. I was watching it going, I get it. That wasn't in Camp I Me Love. They have a couple poker scenes too, Mm -hmm. and I don't recall. I think they were drinking like Coke or something. It was a little bit more realistic, I think, as far as high school kids playing poker. But I don't know. It depends on whom, what circle you're running with, because. I too would, it would have been soda pop. It would be coins and cards and we wouldn't be very good at it probably, but yeah, no one had a card table. They always have a card table. I'm like, those are expensive. Yeah. Who the hell Cigars. Can- Who's what high school. That's why I would go again. Like it almost feels as if they're not in high school at times. Cause they're smoking cigars. Dude. I love, by the way, I was going to call this out later. The peel off tab beer cans. Oh yeah. 
instead oh, yeah, of that's the, very old school. Yes. That, yeah. Where you opened it by peeling it off. Mm-hmm. So that was a sign of the times there. And cigars uh, stink. I mean, oh, yeah. as soon as you walk in the house, you would know. And that's not something you can air out in five minutes or, or 10 minutes. Right. That's, that's an all day smell. Your parents are going to come home into later, but I do love in the scene how they kind of, they are ribbing Joel uh, saying there's no way he hooked up with Kessler, the babysitter. Cause uh shout out to Curtis Armstrong, uh, whom I always know is just booger. From exactly. uh, still to this day. Yeah. I think that was the funny thing about watching this. For, for the first time because it's like oh it's the perfect strangers guy and booger yeah for sure bronson pinchot and curtis armstrong yeah yeah absolutely and they're both fantastic in this movie i think they're freaking great mm-hmm. so memorable but yeah we're they go on to other you know highlights in their career and that's what we know them from but in that particular scene curtis armstrong who plays miles is uh very very funny yeah uh in ribbing joel so that is a fun scene. I love the scene with the school nurse. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, because she doesn't say a word. Desperate. She doesn't say a single word. And Joel is just absolutely desperate, grabs her by the collar and just says, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't think I can leave until I get just a little compassion. I love that line. I just love the, why Why are you still writing? Why are you still writing? That's <laughs> right. great. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why are you still writing? Absolutely. Uh, my favorite scene, the scene that blew my skirt up uh, and really got me this tonight when I watched it again, is a, within the entire scene with the call girls at the house uh, is when Bill Rutherford from Princeton shows up for the interview. It's a fantastic scene, especially the way it ends. I'll just get to that point when you know or we know that Joel knows that the interview has been a disaster. And out of the scene, you know, we have people coming and going. Lana keeps coming in, trying to make room for other, for the clients and the girls. And it's just disruptive. You got the guy outside knocking on the window, which is hilarious. My, you know, what does he say? My younger brother, friend, nephew, I don't know. It was in yeah, someone, he's got it's to, someone younger. He's got to be home by 12. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's that. great. Um, so all of that is happening while he's trying to remain composed and have this interview with this adult. There's an adult in the real adult in the room. And it ends with Lana coming in one last time, which you think is just going to be one more interruption. And it's probably my favorite moment in the entire film, Bill, is the look that they share between each other. And it's, and it's important, as you know, because the camera, the direction here is wonderful. And the performances are great because of the way they look at each other and the chemistry between Tom Cruise and Rebecca de Mornay is real. It's palpable. You sense it, especially in this moment. You have a slow push in close up on both Rebecca and Tom Cruise cutting back and forth as Bill Rutherford is sitting there. Is it Richard Mazur, the Mac actor? Yeah. Trying to conduct the interview still, but Joel's past it. He knows what He's therefore it doesn't matter. The interview doesn't matter anymore. Getting into the school doesn't matter. He's he's doing he's creating business right now in this moment with Rebecca. And that's what matters. And she's all that matters in that moment. It's great. I love that look that they share. And then so you have between the look, he dons the glasses, the famous quote, 
when he says, you know, Bill, <laughs> there's one thing I've learned in all my years. Sometimes you got to say, what the fuck, make your move. And what is Rebecca Martin, what Lana says, so how did it go? And he just stands up with that big smile on his face and says, looks like, like yeah. University, University of Illinois. Illinois. Yep. And that to me, that's my favorite scene. It's just, there's so many great moments within a short time span. And the funny thing about that, Bill, and I can say this just because again, growing up in the suburbs Northwest of Chicago, that the University of Illinois is a prestigious school, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. So I was watching this again, too. And the funny thing is, this literally is the Mandela effect. I always thought he said in this quote, looks like I'm going to state. Uh, okay, yeah. Or looks like Illinois State. But he says University of Illinois, which actually is a hard school to get into mm -hmm. and has a great reputation. I just think that's funny. So that's my favorite scene. Basically, uh, Rutherford is just coming there to tell him he's not going to Princeton. There really right. isn't an like why interview. Yeah, he's going through the motions. Yeah, he's doing a favor, and, he, and he's just going through and just kind of putting him down. That is a great scene. All right, let's move on. I, we touched on this a little bit, uh, the soundtrack. Yeah, absolutely. So the music was done by uh, Tangerine Dream. They did the score, yeah. The soundtrack is it's actually bits and pieces off of some of their other albums. And I really didn't discover Tangerine outside of doing the soundtracks, really discover them until a couple of years ago. And I've been uh, downloading a lot of their stuff. And it's kind of funny because I, I listened to some of this. I'm like, wow, this sounds a lot like Risky Business. I'm like, because it is from Risky Business. Right. So yeah. some of the tracks from their 1981 album, Exit, uh, they took off and remixed it for this. And then their 1979 album, Force Majeure, they took some of the music off of that, remixed it, and put it into the uh, Risky Business soundtrack. They do. It's a fantastic lineup. Yeah. You got Bob Seger with Old Time Rock and Roll. Oh, yeah, exactly. There's Muddy Waters. Springsteen's in there. I'm a huge Springsteen fan, so my shout-out to my guy, Bruce, the boss with Hungry Heart. The film, open, there's right from the get, you have Every Breath You Take, The Police. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's heavy hitters all throughout. But the, but the Tangerine Dream score is quintessential. Like It is essential. You hear that kind of music. It is very 80s synth, but it sets a certain tone. There is a feel. There's a vibe. There's a, a mood. Exactly. It's more, it's, it is a more mature mood. Yeah. It puts you in a very kind of relaxed zone. Uh, it creates atmosphere. It's very atmospheric music. The score, is, the score is great. It is essential to the film. It is one of the characters in this film. I looked up the track listing on the, on the soundtrack album and it only has like four pieces of the Tangerine Dream on it. And they're very short snippets. If you could find it somewhere else, definitely find it. Cause like I said, I think for the love on a real train on the soundtrack, it's only a two minute, 30 piece stuff. I download it. It's a seven and a half minute piece of music, which is way better. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, so uh, moving on to our next segment. I know I have a little bit for this one, the Swiss cheese. Why do we call it Swiss cheese, Jason? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes, Bill. Yes. And my biggest hole with this movie is the timeline. Thank you very much, Bill Dant. Absolutely. I think we can spend the next 10 minutes doing the timeline of this. When does how for how long? Where how? Yeah. So how long were his that, parents gone for? When is Bill? I'm looking at my first. I have it right. I want to screenshot this and send it to you. How <laughs> long are the parents gone for? That's my first thing. Itemized right here. I'm looking at it. Yeah. It's like they don't say how long they're going to be gone for. So you never really know what the what's the timeline. How much time does he have? Wait. How long does he have the house to himself? Because it feels like at times like forever, and then. Then sometimes it feels like it's a real time constraint, which puts adds a little stress to the situation. Exactly, because you know they come back on the fifth. He's got the interview, and the party happens on the fourth. Right. So what what happens before that? So I'm going to go backwards. So my first and issue, he's going to school. So a lot of you know it's all like through the week because he's going to school during the day. Right. So you know his parents probably leave on a weekend because if they're having the Parker right. poker game. They're not doing it during a weeknight. So it's probably a Friday or a Saturday. So I'm thinking his parents are flying out on a Saturday. So, I, that so it's makes one sense. or two weeks. So it's one or two weeks that they're gone. Correct. I get this. For some reason, I put two weeks down. Maybe something will reveal itself and remind me why I did that. But it's at least a week. Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is my issues. All right. Let's say it is a week. Okay. How many nights until that he's home alone that he finally calls Lana to come over? Night two, night three, best case. Let's say Friday night was poker night. Yes. Saturday leave. They leave on Saturday. He, being Joel, decides to booze it up, dance in his tidy whities on Saturday night after they're gone because he's got the whole place to himself. He's living it up. All right. So we'll say that's Saturday night. That's Saturday. Sunday. Are we saying that's when Miles comes over and decides to call Jackie on Joel's behalf? I don't think so because isn't Barry over with him with the entrepreneur thing and they're showing the device off and then Glenn comes over oh, with the girl. Right. So that might be on Sunday. On Sunday that they're doing the future enterprises. Glenn comes over. Right. That makes sense. So okay. you're saying that the, the scene when Miles comes over looks in the newspaper ad, calls Jackie and, and or just makes that call to have Jackie, the call girl show up at his ha- at Joel's house. That may have been on a school day. Maybe like after school. I'm trying yeah. to think because they were drinking 
beers, those peel off tape, like beers at the table. Right. I think. Yeah, probably. That's when I noticed the peel off tab, I think. Yeah. So that could have been after school one day. Right. All right. So if he calls Jackie and Jackie comes over on Monday. Sure. Okay. So then mm-hmm. Jackie gets shooed away, gives him the number for Lana. Does Lana come that night or does Lana come the next night? I'd say let's just go with the next night. Because okay. So now we're already. He's just embarrassed by the Jackie situation, goes to bed after that, wants to forget it. Okay. So but now then, we're. You know, he's feeling frisky 24 hours later. Okay. So now he calls Lana. Lana comes over on a Tuesday. And he has the only way he can talk to Lana on the phone is if he's wearing the catcher's mask. <laughs> exactly. That cracked me up. So the shield is like a shield. It's protected. Shield yeah. of shyness. Yes. The shield of shyness. It's a great moment. <laughs> okay. So that we'll say that's Tuesday night then. Okay. So Lana comes over. She spends and before the night. That, let's not, I have to mention this. Another great moment. This is, I was just, I laughed out loud, or at least I was laughing on the inside. The catcher's mask moment. But then he decides to get all cleaned up and he goes to shave like he needs to shave. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's and like then that. he actually, he's using the electric razor and then he actually looks into the razor and like takes a cover off the lid off to see, like to blow on it like there's anything in there. Yeah, exactly. That, that one whisker yeah. that he got. <laughs> The first whisker that appears. He's like, I better get that bad boy. Okay. So Lana comes over. They have their night of passion. They're making love on the stairs as the camera pans across childhood photos. Exactly. So next morning would be Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Lana asks for the $300. Right. He doesn't have it. He's only got 50 bucks on him. Oh, yeah. By the way, thanks, mom. This is just a sign of the eighties, though, too. Like, but even then, yeah. Uh, thanks, mom, for the the hundred and twenty five bucks. Only fifty of which I'm really supposed to use on food for a week, seven days. They're yeah. gone. Fifty bucks. What's that going to get you, Bill? Ban. I I spent sixty bucks on Postmates last right. two days. Anyway, that's just how times have, have changed. But even if you're doing McDonald's, you're still five yeah. bucks a meal. Yeah, you're not. You're not. Those you're not making on fifty bucks. Food. 50 bucks for what was the other? There was something emergencies, 25 for unexpected. I don't know, whatever it was, but uh, yeah, whatever yeah, that anyway. diner this they go to, I'm sure he's not spending $3 a plate with right. his buddies. So the next morning he finds out Lana charges $300. He doesn't have to, he only has 50 bucks. So he has to go to the bank to collect on a bond. That'll cover the 300 comes back. She's gone. The glass egg is gone. She's clearly taken it to cover the cost. And now he's like, I'm screwed. So let's say that's Wednesday. Now he goes to the hotel to go find her. Does that happen Wednesday night or Thursday? Oh, with when he goes with Barry? You're talking when he goes to the classy hotel to, with to Miles. find her? He goes with Miles. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're right. You're right. He does go with Miles. Well, we know it has to be a school night because Miles got his big trig test the next day. Correct. His his trig midterm. So, okay. So we'll say it's either Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. We'll say, okay. So now we're already, let's, yeah. What are we saying? That could have, that could have been Wednesday after school, right? Mm -hmm. When he has that scene with Miles, they're standing outside the kind of store on the sidewalk and he convinces Miles to go with them. It's that night. That could be Wednesday night. 
All right. So at this point, the parents have to be gone two weeks. Okay. Because there's no way they put a party together. Yeah. But even that doesn't make sense because. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, this is really compact. There's a lot that happens within just a few days. We, we haven't even gotten to the Porsche yet. Well, that happens that night, right? Because they get they get into the Porsche. Let's say it's still Wednesday night. They go to the hotel to see Lana. She comes out. They all get into the Porsche. She's get trying to get away from Guido. The car chase ensues. Guido's after them on the road, which it turns out to be the slowest car chase ever film. It's still... <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, Guido's chasing the car. They get back. They spend the night, and then the next morning, let's say it's Thursday morning now, and Lana is walking around in uh, just the sweatshirt, which is amazing. It's just Mm -hmm. a great look. I I always recommend it. Um, And that's Thursday morning, but then he's already trying to get her to leave, but that doesn't happen. She actually... Ends up getting Vicky comes over. Right. He comes home from school and Vicky's at the door. Has Glenn already, Glenn's already had his fun with Vicky at that point? Well, Glenn, because remember, Glenn earlier had fun with a classmate. The girl oh, yeah. Classmate. The, yeah. This is, right. We'll get into <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, All right. In All right. So let's say, let's say, and Swiss cheese. Exactly. Here. All right. So let's say Glenn meets Vicky Friday afternoon. We're going to go to Friday. Now it's Friday. Yes. Where we finally see okay. Vicky and Vicky okay. has moved in with Lana. Okay. All right. So, so we'll jump ahead, but then, because then there's the scene, uh, they go to get ice cream. So it's Barry, right. Joel, so, Vicky, that's and, Barry and Joel and Lana. Right. And they're and all then, high. Exactly. And then a fair, that's a fun scene with the ice cream. This, that little conversation between Joel and Barry is great. So that's got to happen on a Sunday because the Porsche gets dumped in the lake. Okay. Yeah. See, there's just no way. Yeah. So he's got to get the, so the Porsche has got to get fixed in about five days. He gets suspended for five days. Right. Puts this party. Oh yeah. That's another issue I had too. It's like, how do the parents not find out about that? Exactly. Cause he would be on the fifth day of suspension. If they got back on Saturday, the timeline is all screwed up. Exactly. And I did read in the in the trivia. I hope, I hope everybody's writing research. this down while they're yeah, listening got, to this. Like, please what? try to make sense of this. There is a, a little bit of a gaffe where I think it's yeah, Lana by when they're sitting on the Porsche, they're all high, and Barry and Vicky walk off, and Lana and Joel are sitting on the hood of the Porsche, and uh, she says something about the fact that his parents aren't coming home till Sunday, but that's a mistake because it's been said a couple times that she, you know she's right. coming back on Saturday. Yes. So that just further confuses things when you're watching the movie. Cause that I get distracted every time I watch it just a little bit, not enough that it takes me out of it or really bothers me that much, but mm-hmm. I'm always going, wait, what, how long, wait, how long were the, it's like, did they leave their 17 year old alone in the house for like a month? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Is it, did they go on a month long journey trip to the sea and whatever her name was? All right. So like I said, so we've just gone over the last 10 minutes, just trying to figure out how long Joel's been alone in the house. But the timeline that even drives me up the wall more is the Saturday when his parents come home. Okay. So, Oh yeah. The two hours that he has to get all the furniture. Exactly. Back into the house. Yeah. I was even thinking, I was like, okay, 
two hours before has the call with Guido. So I'm basically saying from that phone call to get all his furniture, all that stuff's packed in the truck. All right. Say, say his parents even get in a little bit late. I was like, how long would the parents wait at the airport until they decide to come home? 45 minutes, maybe best case from the airport to the house. It's not happening. You're not, you're not nope, getting all that. Not from you're O'Hare not buying back all your stuff. They are. And they're not that far out from the city. Yeah. No, no way. Lift, getting all that furniture in. Yeah. I was so nervous. I always get so nervous though. Still when he's put, getting all the furniture back in or, you know, good old Barry's helping him mm-hmm. and he's getting the old grandfather <laughs> clock in there. And he's like, Oh, it was I'm like, it, yes. I, I actually, I think I said, made some sort of sound effect. So it's out loud. It's like, Oh, 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 be careful. Like, Oh my God. Don't. Or yeah. Even Barry's like, Oh, you know, I'd put it this way. It's like, no. Oh, laugh. <laughs> I'm like, how is he going to put that back? Unless there's like the little circle dust. He would, cause there's, you know, his parents would know exactly like, why has this been moved? Half an inch. If his mom notices a tiny crack in that glass egg, she's going to notice that. Something else is out of place. And, but when Barry Bronson Pinchot is hilarious, man, he's trying to organize things the way he would want them organized. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we, what does he say? Something about uh, the, the like the Chinese people. artifacts. Right. This, they should be together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I was almost like the, the writer in me was like, I, I would have said my parents will be here in. Just my parents are coming in this afternoon and just left it at that. Not specified two hours because right away I was like, all right, my eternal clock's going off. Yeah. All right, let's figure this out. Then you logistically have to plan it out. Yeah, that's me. I I always get crazy when a movie does that. When they're like 10 minutes until it blows up. And then I'm like, okay, let's see if this one all can happen in under 10 minutes. And if it doesn't, it it irks me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you got to change. You got to make it work. All right, so sorry, I dominated Swiss cheese here for a little bit. Go ahead. What do you got? Not at all, man. And I'm going to go off on a, a brief tangent here, but I, one thing I'll maybe talk about later is just when I watch this film now, I think about how things were just so much simpler then because home security, it seems, in this really wealthy neighborhood. Anybody can just kind of walk in and out of these houses. But uh, in Carl, you know, you can call a call girl and she doesn't need, there's no screening process. She'll just kind of come over and walk in here. Anyway. Things were just generally simpler. And I think our view of movies, when we went to the movies, our expectations are what we were wanting out of a film seemed to be simpler. We allowed the magic of the movies to take over. We didn't ask as many questions. We didn't poke as many holes. We weren't so analytical, I don't think, or technical about it. And I'm not saying it's better or worse necessarily is just simpler because I don't ever remember any of the having most of these issues, you know, or wanting to really break it down that like, it's just, you just kind of go with it. It was a little more, more of an innocent time, but that's again, just kind of looking at it through a child's eyes or younger, the younger me, I think too, you know, you know, again, then versus now. No, I mean, I'm still kind of, like the first time I go to see a film for the first time, I really just try to go and just be entertained. And yeah, if I like yeah. it enough, I'll watch it again. And then I really do the deep dive and, and analyze or pick it apart. Or what did I like about the writing? What did I like about the character development? What did I like about the scenes? But yeah, really the first time I, I really just do just try to sit back and just, you got me for the next two hours. 
please just entertain me. You got my 15 bucks or, you know, whatever. Right. Or 20 bucks if I went to sign it on IMAX and just enjoy. Yeah. But I remember, you know, the, the small suburb of Chicago I grew up in, you know, we left our doors locked. I, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a neighborhood. There's very little crime and all of the neighbors knew one another. And uh, I had friends that would help themselves. It, you know, they would literally go inside my house when I wasn't there and go into the cookie jar and take cookies. And then, <laughs> like, I mean, that was a regular thing. It was really funny. Mm-hmm. TJ, Pat, if you're out there, you know who you are. <laughs> You owe me cookies. No, you owe my mom cookies. Anyway, uh, so we've determined the timeline was an issue. Yes. In this film. I uh, covered uh, one point the, with the money. I had an issue with just leaving Joel 125 bucks, which he wasn't even spend, supposed to spend all of. And um, I have a question here, Bill. Go ahead. Let's say, you know, at your, gosh, you're young, you're 17, you have a girlfriend and, you know, you just, you have no place to go. You want to be in, you know, want to share some intimacy. You want some privacy. Do you go to your friend's house and ask if you can use one of the rooms for sex? Was that, I just had an issue with that. I, I, I just thought the balls on Glenn. That oh kid. yeah, I know exactly. You know, he comes over with his girlfriend early in the film. It's like, hey, you know, we just have nowhere else to go. Your parents are out of town. You think we could use a room? I'm like, what? No, no, get the f out of here, man. <laughs> exactly. It's my house. You're not going to desecrate my house. With exactly. Because who's cleaning know, up God the mess? What? Just yeah. And then he's like, you can use my room. No, no, you're not using my room. You're not definitely not going to do something in my parents' where it is. No. Anyway. uh, it's, that was funny. That was definitely yeah, basic. Yeah, uh, it's kind of gross. Also, what I was saying, things clearly were similar back there. Was it easy that easy to get a call, like a call girl to come over? Just you call her up and she wants to know your name and you say your name is Ralph. And uh, there's just no screening questions. Like you, she just comes over without... You just need the address and that's kind of it. No discussion of price, no nothing. It's just kind of... And then if you don't answer the door, she's just going to help herself inside the house. Well, that even cracked me up when Miles calls Jackie and rattles off that address so fast and then hangs up. Jackie's not coming. She knows that's a <laughs> she knows that's a prank. She knows that's a prank. Jackie's not coming. Yeah, just getting a call girl to come over. Some of the logistics there. I had. A, I was just worried about Lana's safety. She doesn't know who she's going to see, and vice versa. You know, and for Joel as well. That's why he's wearing the catcher's mask. Maybe too. It's just like that's true. Who knows who's going to show up at his door or just walk into his house and take her clothes off? So there's some security issues there. Oh, here's I had an issue with. We don't. You know, Lana the the morning after. Uh, says you owe me 300 bucks it's like well that's you know in the 1983 that's a lot of that's a chunk of change yes like, it is okay well, i'm sure she was worth it i'm just saying you know that's a that's a lot of money but then when glenn has apparently been over to the house and had a, a tryst with vicky lana is saying hey you know your friends are nice and they have money you know he comes over with 100 bucks it's like wait a minute glenn only paid vicky 100 bucks yeah, and half of it was going to Joel. Yeah, because he's the hot, right? Yeah, I was uh, like, damn. So, uh, was Vicky just a, just a lot more affordable than Lana? Uh, maybe, maybe it's the overnight rate. <laughs> I don't know how it, look, I just don't know how it all works. 
We talked about, I didn't know how, you know, Guido found out where Joel lived, how he shows up on the front, front lawn and has the argument with Lana and Vicky. I don't know how that happened. Uh, did you have any other holes? Yeah, another one, the party itself. And you mentioned security. Where the hell are the cops? I mean, right. that is a massive party. It's not, it's not a small party. Exactly. If cars in, in a neighborhood like that, if cars are blocking the street, you know, all those neighbors are calling. Oh yeah. The noise. Yes. Yeah. In a ritzy neighborhood like that, like that's high. That's like, yeah. Upper class. Joel has to get busted on something. He's either going to get busted because he got suspended from school or from the party because the neighbors are going to say something. They're going to be like, why is, why was all your furniture on the front lawn? What the hell was that with that party the other night? And then the school's calling like, oh, yeah, Joel can go back to school on Tuesday. What do you mean Joel can go back to school on Tuesday? Yeah. He, he was he was done. He was done. Uh, that's hilarious. Yeah. No, I just love all like the street is jam packed. Like I'm sure blocking traffic that night, too, because they're all the cars are filling up the street. And uh, I just love the shot too towards the end of the night at that part. You see the kids pushing the car. the car. Yes, that was great. It's like, what happened there? Did the battery die? They run out of gas? Was the, was the, <laughs> oh, you know what scene made me laugh, too? Was when the call girl comes out in the front lawn and the guys are out there just kind of playing ball. And she's just oh, like, yeah. who's? Blah. That right. made me That made me crack out. He's like, me, me. Right. I'm next. It's like, what was there, was there like a little sign-in sheet? Like, oh, this is the girl I want. I'll take the 1050 to 1052 slot. That's, you know, again, the inner workings of this world, Bill, I do not understand. I'm just, you know, we have to make assumptions, but it seems as though they were, they had a schedule. But uh, one of the, yeah, we talked about the maturity of these kids. And we talked about, there's some mature themes in this film. We talk about the sexuality of the film. We talk about the music setting a certain tone, a certain mood. We talk about Joel and his approach with Lana, especially initially. And then just these 17 year olds, how they handle themselves pretty well around older call girls, even during the big party scene at the house. It's like, I'm just like, man, if I was, yeah, none of those kids are nervous. Yeah. I'm just like, can you imagine, like, first of all, I'd be nervous. Like, I was like, oh, I, I, going, I did not party in high school. I was a goody two-shoes. But even going to a, a party, you know, an after-theater party where there, there was alcohol, I felt like I'm doing something wrong. I'm feeling guilty. This is wrong. But to go to a party where this activity is, where this is just a bunch of call girls hanging out. It's just, yeah, I'm just, you know, high school senior. This is what we do. This is cool. And also just a bunch of strangers that, Joel picked up off the street, right? Because he's just walking around town. He's walking around the suburbs, recruiting, like marketing. He's oh, yeah. he's, he's he's selling, right? He's future enterprise. It's not really, but because he's been suspended, but uh, he is working alongside Barry. After all, on an actual profitable enterprise. Yeah, that just amazed me how confident they were. I'm like, didn't these kids know anything about sexual diseases? Didn't they take a class on this? <laughs> I just, I was just taken aback at how confident everybody was oh, all yeah. the time. Even in that scene with uh, Joel and Barry, when they go to that scene with the Porsche going into the Lake Michigan, before that, when they're high and, and they, Barry goes walking off with Vicky, just like, hey, do you want to go for a walk? It's like, man, these guys, that's an older woman mm-hmm. who's a call girl that's a professional. And you're just like, yeah, let's go. Let's go, uh, go for a stroll and just talk about life and get to know one another. 
I would just be a lot more nervous. I'd be a lot more Way awkward. nervous. That's my point. Oh yeah. Super awkward. Super nervous. I got one more. My only, I got one more issue. Did you have any other holes? No, that's it. Go for it. My last one is the use of the word buster. That's it. When Joel, Joel says it a couple times in the film, when he gets a little heated, a little hot under the collar with Joe Pantoliano as Guido, mm-hmm. he calls him buster. Hey, buster. Easy buster. That's uh, that doesn't, that doesn't hold up well for me. And, uh, I, I don't think I I don't think I ever said that in the eighties. That's my only other issue. That's again, these aren't for those for your folks at home, for you busters at home. Hey Buster, don't nitpick our segment here. I'm not necessarily poking holes. I'm just calling out a lot of issues I had. There you go. In this segment. It's Swiss cheese and issues. Let's move on to our next segment, which is hey, it's that actor. Hey. All right. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Jason, who's your, hey, it's that actor? Oh, boy. I think you just gave it away. Really? Gave it away. That, yeah. For me, it's, it's Mr. Cameo slash uncredited cameo. It's right in the very opening of the big party sequence. Somebody shows his mug, and that's the one and only Jason Gedrick. Jason Gedrick has a cameo at the party sequence. He's actually uncredited as uh, he is credited on IMDb as extra at party. But uh, Jason Gedrick uh, made a name for himself in the eighties, going on to star in the Iron Eagle series the Iron Eagle films, and then uh, did numerous TV after shows after that and still working today. But that was my, uh, hey, it's that actor. Damn, Jason, we had the same one. Oh, well, I got a, I got a backup. I could be different. No, it's hilarious because um, watching that party scene, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, damn, I know this guy from oh, yeah. something. And he's in it for five seconds. He's the first, first person. He, says, he has like a line, like he but says you don't hear a it. word. Right. I think he says, hey, or something like that. You know, like, hi, and, oh, or what's up. Or yeah. And he's the first one in the party scene that Tom Cruise goes to. Right. And I was like, oh, what is this guy in? What is this guy? In? It was driving me nuts. And then I remember, I'm like, oh, right. He's the probie from Backdraft. Oh, correct. Yeah. He's he the was, one yeah. who. Um, Kurt, Kurt Russell takes up and he, he's like, check that door for heat and just gets yep. blown across the hallway. Right. And then I was like, what else has this guy been in? And then I know why his his face popped in because Cobra Kai, Johnny Lawrence's favorite movie, Iron Eagle. Oh, there you go. And, he's, <laughs> he's, and they show all the clips from that movie and you see him in there and then it's like, oh, oh yeah. that's how I placed that face. Junior. It was Iron Eagle, Very not Proby Tim yeah. from Backdraft. And then he was also in a movie, and I, I can't believe I actually, well, my parents took me to see this at the drive-in, was The Heavenly Kid. Okay. And yeah. that was about the 50s guy who dies, and he's put back on Earth. And Jason Garrick is like the nerdy 80s kid that he's he tries I mean, to make hip and cool. Yeah, yeah Jason Gedrick. Sorry. J- or Jason Garrett, the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. There you go. Well, yeah. A former coach of the Dallas. Sorry, game. excuse me. Yeah. All right. So See, uh, yeah. I'm correcting your correction. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. That's Let's right. get our shit together, Bill. I know. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, so we both have the same. Hey, it's that actor. 
But there was so, it was crazy too because there are so many people we could have chose. I mean, like I said, it's Curtis oh, Armstrong's sure. first movie. It was Kevin Anderson's first major film. Uh, Bronson Pitchett's first major film. I, I know they say it's maybe, tough because it, they aren't like, hey, it's that. I mean, we know them now because they right. have a lot of these guys have body of work. Like my other, hey, it's that actor would have been Raphael. Guess a barge, barge. Oh Glenn. yeah, Glenn. Yes. Because he's kind of like a, a that that actor, like oh it's that guy. Because he, I've never known his name, right? But he's popped up on in so many different TV shows over the years. You're just like he's very recognizable as a character actor and a great character actor at that. Yeah, I just um, recently saw him on Fear of the Walking Dead, and it was driving right, me yeah. nuts because I'm like, I know this guy who, and you know, I'm asking my wife, I'm like, who is this? Who is this? I know, I know, I've seen this guy in something. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh yeah, risky business. Plenty to choose from. Yeah, so there's a ton to choose from. We just happened to pick the same person. But that, that's good. So that's our, hey, it's that actor. All right, so uh, let's move on. Facts and trivia. Jason, what do you got for some facts and trivia? Well, speaking of Jason Gedrick, Jason Gedrick is a Chicago-based guy. This movie is a Chicago-based film. Paul Brickman, the director, writer, is a Chicago guy. And uh, for fun facts and trivia, I just thought this was interesting from from the director's POV and, and also as the writer, he there's a quote that I copy and pasted here, I believe from either IMDb or Wikipedia, but uh, Paul Brickman says, it's crazy to think that one day I was sitting in a cabin thinking of these lines of dialogue. And a few years later, these young lives were profoundly changed. And that would be something kind of cool just from a writer's perspective and I know you can appreciate this as a writer, Bill, is like if you're sitting down and you create something, uh, you you think up something, you put the words onto paper to think that in a few years that those words could and that your script could become uh, the creation comes to fruition. It, it becomes a reality, They're, the realization of it. It becomes a film. It is produced. It's financed. It's made. It's It's distributed. And as a result, the actors speaking your lines build their careers upon the success of the film and those words that kind of gave me a kind of a cool perspective from a writer's perspective. Uh, what, what do you have? Um, so there was an alternate ending to this movie originally that yes, there was. Paul, yeah. Paul Brickman really pushed for and um, typical Hollywood studio systems stepped in and wanted the more happier ending. Right. So in the, alternate ending it actually ends at the dinner table scene the drink scene however you want to, want to call it and the way it's written it's almost where lana and joel's lives in a way have reversed where joel has now become the stronger character mm-hmm. and lana is now the more vulnerable one right because he's gotten into princeton he's going to princeton yeah He's yeah. He's on the on his way up, mm-hmm. and it it ends with them there, and it's more of a somber ending. Like our our lives are probably going to go in in different directions. Whereas the, the version we see on the film is this relationship still might continue, and uh, Paul was not happy with that at all. Right, he really did want that other the that it was a more pessimistic ending. The subject of whether or not because that in that scene between. Joel, Lana Joel does ask, you know, was it a setup? Did you set me up from the beginning? And she denies it. She says, no, 
but he's still skeptical. He, he's not sure. And there's a hug, I, I guess, that happens. Yeah. He asks her to come over and, and she sits in his lap and they embrace and that's it. Fade to black. Mm-hmm. Or then he, yeah, he kind of has the voiceover line about you know, making $8,000 yeah, a month. It's just funny when you do the research on all these films, the alternate endings are always fascinating. Yeah, we'll, have, like, to, we'll you know, have to link that. Fatal Attraction has one of those alternate endings as well, where it's just like it changes a lot of how you feel, perceive the entire film, what you think of it, what's the message, et cetera. Uh, so that, I mean, could really change it because this does definitely have a little bit more hopeful ending and it'll get into one of the questions I want to ask you at the very end here uh, when we get, when we, whenever we get there. Because uh, I, I don't, but I don't honestly give a shit. Bill, I could talk about this movie all night. And that's <laughs> what we do. This is fun. So uh, here's a little bit more fun facts and trivia. The Porsche. Do you say Porsche or Porsche? I say Porsche. Yeah, so do I. Porsche model they used in the film was a Porsche 928, which was supposed to replace the 911. It didn't ever quite achieve uh, popularity that the 911 did. They used four different models. They used three 1978 Porsche 928s and one 1981 model. Somebody tried to track down one of the Porsches used in the film, but uh, and finally they would try. Only one was ever found, and the guy bought it like in 2012 for like forty nine thousand dollars or something. Yeah, I, I actually didn't like that model that much. The one they used in the film, to be honest. Yeah, uh, there's some. Yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. It was, it's a cool car. It's just not as far as Porsches go. You yeah, know? exactly. That's what I'm saying. Not if yeah. someone was going to gift it to me, I'm not going to say no. But right, there was definitely other years or models I would have preferred over that one. Yeah, Tom Cruise was nominated for a Golden Globe for this. Was he really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes. See, there you go. Facts and trivia, right there. Bang. Yeah. Dang, I didn't come across that. My re- oh man. Yeah, nominated for Golden Globe. Wrong places. That's cool. I I had no idea. I know. I was I was I had to read it twice just to make sure. But yeah, it's nominated uh, for risky business. So yeah, he was only twenty when filming, and then I believe Rebecca De Mornay is three years older than him. But she was saying at the time that she was saying she was the same age. Understandable. It was a different time. And uh, however, Curtis Armstrong, who played Miles was 28 years old. Yes. Yeah, I looked it up. So, that yeah. Dude is forever young. Oh, I know. You, know. you talked about the Mandela effect, right? And one of the reasons why we think, you know, I think at least that we remember Tom Cruise in the old-time rock and roll dance sequence is wearing the Ray-Bans when he actually isn't in the film is because there's been so many parodies and kind of recreations of that scene where people are wearing the Ray-Bans in that and when they do, and they kind of are recreating the scene. So that's why we remember it that way. And one of the more recent remakes was just in 2020. They did a commercial, it was a pizza commercial. I forget for which company, but, a, you know, the kid is doing the thing. And, I, and who delivers the pizza at the door, and it's the scene from Risky Business, is Curtis Armstrong in yep. the commercial, which is great. He's delivering the pizza. And uh, still looks young, still looks young, but he was 28 years old. I know. Yeah. So the other ages of the main guys, so Bronson Pitchett, who's Barry, was 23. Glenn, played by Ralph Savarge, we think, 
Uh, he was only he was he was the youngest one. He was. I keep on saying Raphael DeBarge. Raphael, like yeah, sorry, Raphael. I'm just gonna call it him is Raphael. Sorry. Uh, so he was 18. So he was the youngest. But I, I found out an interesting fact about him too. He started acting at age four on Sesame Street. Little Sesame Street. He used to hang out with Bert Ernie, Big Burn on. Yeah. Oh, and then okay. Kevin Anderson, who played Chuck, who I think had one word in the movie where he said money, was 24. And I was trying to like, I was like, I know I've seen Kevin Anderson something also. And he was the the good boyfriend is sleeping with the enemy with uh, Julia Roberts. That was the only oh, other thing I could no place in front way. of. Yes. I know exactly who that is. Yep. I'm a fan of that movie. Yeah. Uh, Laura! But yeah, he had that face. I'm like, oh, what is what is he from? That's crazy. Yeah, I think it was his first movie also. So was like, yeah, there was a lot of uh, first time major film debuts yeah. for this. So according to the research, uh, John Cusack, Nick Cage, Sean Penn, Tom Hanks, and Michael J. Fox all auditioned for Joel. And uh, Timothy Hutton originally was supposed to be Joel. Does, there, does that change it? I mean, like I think about it. it. makes sense. Cusack was big in the 80s. Nick Cage finally comes around. Sean Penn and Tom Cruise and Timothy Hutton all were in TAPS together just a couple of years yes. before that. Uh, but Tom Hanks... Can you see Tom Hanks as Joel? Not at all. Michael he'd J. Be, Fox, been too, for sure. He would have been too old. Yeah, I see if, Michael J. Fox doing it. Yeah, if, if Fox... But he would really... Play, I think he would play a lot more of the nervous... Exactly, yeah. So if Kuzak or Fox side. did it, yeah, I would see the more nervousness. Whereas Hutton, Penn would do a more serious... Would be a little too yeah. serious. Yeah, it's almost like Cruz is right down the middle. Yeah, on this one. Yeah, Tom Hanks might be interesting. I don't know. Uh, supposedly, yeah, Sharon Stone auditioned for Lana. Uh, Kim Basinger been considered for Lana. Here's one that gives me like a casting possibility. Uh, they were actually thinking about Frank Sinatra for Guido. Is that weird? And uh, they clearly said no because he was he's just too old, and it was just didn't seem appropriate but that just seems so yeah that would have been such stunt casting yeah I, it might but have they worked with joey pants of course yeah love him yeah love I mean, him and everything he's in yeah yeah he's yeah. i mean he's one of my Pants-up. favorite movies of all time memento oh sure yeah he's yeah, in, yeah. he's you know when you say it's hey it's that actor i mean he's literally that was that in that category. Oh yeah. We we'll, own that category for years. We'll definitely uh be touching on a lot of his eighties films throughout this run on oh, podcasts. Yeah, without a doubt. So here's an interesting fun fact. After their initial night together, Lana tells Joel that he owes her three hundred dollars. When adjusted for inflation, that equates to seven hundred and seventy seven dollars and forty five cents in twenty twenty dollars. That's expensive. Yep. Not cheap. And cash in a few of those bonds. <laughs> Any other facts and trivia? That's all I got, Bill. All right. So let's uh, move on to box office. So this film opened in the summer of 1983, August 5th of 1983 to be exact. On a budget of $6.2 million, it ended up grossing 63.5. So it was definitely a box office yeah. hit. Yeah. Damn. It was never number one at the box office. But it did have a six-week run at number two during weeks three through eight. 
the movies that could not be down for number one included National Lampoon's Vacation, Easy Money, and Mr. Mom. Awesome. So on the review front, uh, when growing up in the 80s, there was nothing more exciting than catching at the movies on PBS. To hear the reviews from Siskel and Ebert, both Siskel and Ebert gave this film two thumbs up, and they both had this film number nine on their 10 best films of 1983. That's pretty high praise for this movie. No kidding. Yeah. All right, Jason. I think we're going to get on to our final thoughts. Final thoughts on Risky Business. Go for it. Uh, So I've got some quotes, Bill. Go for it. Uh, We already went over sometimes. You got to say, what the fuck? Make your move. My other favorite version of that is earlier when Miles says it to Joel, though. And this is something I repeated to myself all the time after I finally watched the film. So it was probably in the early 90s, mid 90s. I would always say, sometimes you got to say, what the fuck? If you can't say it, you can't do it. I always like that version of it. Love that awesome tape deck. With the the earth equalizers, man, that's such a great like old school retro tape deck. Now looking, I was like, oh, I could, I could, that'd be awesome to have that. The like the cassette with no cover on the players, just you just slap it right in there. I love the moment when the Porsche, when you see (laughs) Jill gets in the Porsche, which specifically was told not to drive the Porsche. He gets into the Porsche, pulling uh, in reverse out of the garage. Oh, it stalls. It stalls, and the music stops. Mm-hmm. And then he restarts <laughs> the music kicks back in. It's a great moment. According to my research too, I forgot to mention this. Supposedly Sean Penn was in the car with him during that. Yeah. Uh, I heard that too. As a cameo, but obviously you can't see him. So the first time when Lana as Rebecca, here's props to Rebecca Domain, which Demorne, which she, they go to track her down to get the egg back. That's uh, both miles and Joel. They go to the hotel. I think it's supposed to be the Drake hotel downtown Chicago. The, uh, she sees them from down in the lobby. She looks up to the balcony where they're sitting and she gives this look. And this is really like, she owns every scene that she's in. Rebecca de Mornay is great in this film. Her eyes are piercing. Uh-huh. Uh, they're hypnotic. And she has like five or six fantastic looks, glaring looks in this film. Uh, and they just... It just says a lot. She doesn't have to actually say anything. She's great in the movie. Uh, another quote. We mentioned Miles is in the Porsche as they're being chased by Guido. And he says, I don't believe this. I've got a trig midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido, the killer pimp. It's just one of the best lines ever written. And then when they finally get rid of, uh, they lose Guido in the slowest car chase ever. They get back to Joel's house and he puts it in park and Joel looks over. Oh, so cool. Atlanta says, Porsche, there is no substitute. And then Miles leans in from the back and says, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I love when Guido first appears on Joel's lawn and they have a little back and forth. And he says to Joel, in a sluggish economy, never, ever fuck with another man's livelihood. Love that. line. Oh, yeah. You got to have a Tom Cruise running scene in every film that he's, he's you know, stars in. And there is a brief scene when he's he's late for school and he's like yes. running into the school. I'm like, there it is. That's the Tom Cruise running scene. Got to yep. got to get that in there. Don't Lana for the middle doors. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Lana in a fedora. I'll take it every day of the week. Absolutely. Oh yes, such a great look in this film. Just all time, all time. Oh, there's a couple moments when 
Joel gets caught in an awkward moment and he looks over and there's the kids standing on the street looking oh, yes. at him. That happens twice in the film. It makes me laugh every time. And then uh, just props again to the peel off tab beer cans. That's what I've got for uh, a lot of thoughts, but I got some other questions for you, Bill. I don't I know what, to, before we get into that, do you want to go over some of your final thoughts? Um, I just have one quick question and I'll have you follow up with questions. Um, because there was a scene at the party with Miles and Joel and they're outside and Miles says, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to pay for it. I almost felt like there was something missing. There is something missing there. No question about it. I thought the exact same thing, especially watching it again now. Okay. There's a, it's something got cut. Something ended up on the editing room floor. There's a deleted scene somewhere that makes that smaller scene whole. Because yeah. something had to, there must have been a precursor. They had to be, something must have prefaced that interaction. Okay. Because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, because it's kind of obvious. So it's kind of like, I, I wonder what they cut out. Yeah, because Joel is a little, he's upset. He's not mad, but right. he's disappointed because Miles isn't partaking in the party or something. But something had to have led up to that. Because why, why is Miles there anyway in the first place? Right. Like but you need that scene. Because Rutherford showed up and you need Lana to pop her head out and call him in the house. Mm. But I kind of, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's was, a curious one. Yeah, it was a little jarring. Love that moment in the party, too, where there's that shot. These are There's just great moments in between in this movie. So it's just really smart. It just captures a lot of great feelings and emotions. And that's why we get nostalgic about these films, Bill, is like just the feelings that these films evoke. There's a scene in that party with all the call girls walking around. There's this innocent kid who's just sitting on the couch. I'm glad you and brought this up. The call girl in the green dress, the big, the tall blonde, very sexy, sits down next to him. He's immediately got uh, the widest smile comes across his face. He's smiling before she sits. Like she, he sees her coming. And yeah. there, she sits down. Another girl sits down on the couch and he can't take it. <laughs> Exactly. I can't do this because he's like, he's got to be like 13. And I was wondering if that was the kid that the friend was knocking on the window about. Right. That's, I'm assuming that's. Yeah. That's what I thought it was too. Who it was as well. But he's like, nope. And he gets up and walks away. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's a fantastic moment in between that just really is the glue sometimes that makes these movies work, man. Jason, that would have been me. That would have been me. Yeah. Um, that would have been me. I would have been yeah. so nervous. I would have got up and walked away. See, I'll be honest. Maybe that's what adds to like, there, there's a real moment. Yeah. Right. That's a, it was a very real moment because the kids, the smile on that kid's face is like, like as in like, Oh my gosh, look at this. <laughs> exactly. This buxom blonde sitting next to me. I can't handle it. I have to leave now. Yeah. Hey, did Lana put the Porsche in neutral on purpose? Do you think that was part of it? Are we, does that kind of play into the setup theory? First, I was kind of like, wow, that easily got put into neutral. I was mm-hmm. like, that they have some kind of like, you usually have to push the button, pull back. Mm. But uh, no, I yeah, think, see, I think that familiar with the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I, cause I drive Porsches manual. all the time. So no, I think it was an accident. Did you say you drive Porsches all the time? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, like I would really know because I drive Porsches oh, all the time. Right. No, I don't. I thought you said. I'm, like, I'm trying to total seriousness. I'm, try, 
No, I would. Yeah, I would know because I'm do trying to think course. outside of being like at a car museum or right. Yeah, I've never, I've never. It does, yeah. But the fact that the keys are still in the car too, and then lock the keys in the car. <laughs> um, I, I've had, car. I've had something happen to be like that where I got out of my car and I forgot to put it in park, and my car went down the road, and wow. luckily, yeah. Yeah. So I actually went to put oh, mail, mail in a mailbox, and uh-huh. I was in my uh, Ford Ranger, and I pulled up on this street, and I got out of the car to throw it in, and I turned, and all of a sudden, I just see my car going down the road. But lu- I mean, luckily, it didn't hit anything. Oh, I was able God. to. I was That's able to. Brilliant. I caught it because the door was open. The door s- swung open. Yeah. Jumped right back in and stopped it. But yeah, I was like, I'm living risky business. It <laughs> <laughs> goes through my head uh that's great yeah <laughs> i wish i could have been there to see that at the end of this film bill do joel and lana end up together are they're gonna spend the night together we that much we can gather do they end up dating no are they really boyfriend girlfriend is she really his girlfriend no yes maybe no you're saying no i'm saying no yeah, I don't see it working. I don't see it happening. I think they go their separate ways. Yeah. I think at best they see each other a few more times before he goes to college, but then once he's off to Princeton, it's officially over. Mm-hmm. They may have they may continue something through the summer. That's that's as far as it goes. Is this the best chemistry that Tom Cruise has had with another female lead? Ooh, that's a good question. I think he has great chemistry with her in this movie. Yeah, I'm trying to quickly rifle through everything. Yeah, it's tough. And it's crazy yeah. because you figure he did marry one of his co-stars. Mm-hmm. Days of Thunder. Or Far and Away. Um, yeah. No, I think so. Yeah, I think it's the best or kind of stories I don't see. Eyes Wide Shut. I have not seen that one yet. All right. Well, something to, to think about. because What do you, you know, think? Well, you know, Cruz has been sometimes been called for lack of better uh, asexual sometimes in right. films where it's not, you know, he clearly has a romantic interlude or connection with the film. I mean, it's written in, it's there, there's a female lead there together, but there's, it's not overly sexualized or this doesn't feel like there's a lot of sexual tension. Right. Even in like, even though there's an actual sex scene in Top Gun, it's like between him and Kelly McGillis, that it's not as if it's crackling. If that makes any sense, the relationship. You know what I mean? I'm going through the index of all his movies. That Top Gun didn't even pop in my head. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. And yeah, even thinking see, about his earlier films, I was like, I can't even I remember the firm, who the female Gene was. Triple Horn. Uh, gosh, just name what uh, oh, yeah. Impossible movies. Uh, yeah. You've always got... Uh, Rebe- with Rebecca Ferguson? Is that who? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm a big, big Rebecca Ferguson fan. But... Yeah, I just think she they're they're great together in the movie. Yeah. I think they're on fire the whole time. So and I also think, you know, especially, you know, gosh, I mean, how can you not have chemistry with wearing those? I was just gonna say, I'm gonna ask my next girlfriend to wear that dress. Oh. But that dress, I don't Rebecca DeMornay pulls up that dress she wears in the very first scene when she makes her first entrance. Yes. And then she's wearing a similar style dress on the train at the mm-hmm. end, the way it's cut. It's very sexy. Hey, Bill. Yes. Where will we be in 10 years from now? 10 years from now. That's the question 
Joel poses to Lana or, or just a thought he has. Uh, maybe, maybe we're doing our, our last edition of this podcast. Yeah. Our sign off podcast season. Yeah. Season 10. Or maybe we're still just going strong. It's our 10 year anniversary. That's we're, true. Course, that's what we're doing. We're be the best. Yeah. We'll do our years of all eighties movies podcast. This will be our best of episode 10 years from now. That's right. Looking back. First yep. ten years. The first 10. <laughs> the first 10. Oh boy. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm all questioned. I got no more questions for you. All right. So yeah, for me, for risky business, it's one of my favorite Tom Cruise films. It's it's in my top five. I know we were ripping on it with the timeline and stuff like that, but it really changed the genre of the teen comedies. And it's still iconic today. Like I said, everybody knows the old time rock and roll dance scene. If you have not seen this movie, you have to see this movie. It is a fun, excellent film, especially if you're a teenager. This is a blast. Um, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I agree. Agreed. Yeah. It was one of those films. I definitely waited too long to see it when I had the opportunity to see it a lot earlier. And, uh, it, it was fun watching the guy. I probably haven't seen it in like a decade and it was, it's, it was still a lot of fun and it, it made me laugh. And yeah, you really think there's a lot of like sex and nudity in it, but it's not. And it's, and it's really done really tastefully, but it's, yeah, it's highly sexualized. It's, it's yep. very erotic how they do it where, yeah, it's almost like a horror movie where it's scarier because you don't see something you know, the same way. More is left to the imagination. Yeah, more is left to the imagination. It really, it really works with this. Couldn't agree more, Bill Bant. You nailed it. It is erotic. It, it's very it, the the sensual the sensuality of it. It's classy. That's what lends again to the maturity of this film. It isn't just your run of the mill teens eighties teen sex comedy. It's not a Porky's. It's not. Uh, it's more. It's more. And you got a lot of stars come out of this film. And uh, it's you. It's quintessential early eighties. Gotta, gotta see it. I definitely recommend it as well. Awesome. Yes. All right. Um, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you for listening. You can email us at all eighties movies podcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback questions or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook at all eighties movies podcast, or now you can tweet us at podcast all eighties. Join us again next week as we discuss the 1981 wartime soccer drama victory starring michael kane sylvester stallone and pele until then have a totally great week everyone thanks for listening everyone good night world